Greetings and welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series online edition. My name is Anthony Wong, Program Coordinator of the Institute. Uh, thank you very much for joining us for our talk tonight by Vina Orden on her CUNY Forum essay, Black Henry Charting New Ways Forward in a Filipino History. Uh, Vina presents a critique of colonial Spanish and Filipino history utilizing Filipino journalist, poet, and playwright Luis H. Francia's play. Black Henry as a radical work of imagination and jumping off point to deconstruct colonial history. Vina Orden is a writer, artist, and immigrants rights and social justice advocate based in New York City. Uh, her writing about the Filipino community has appeared in Asian American writers workshops, The Margins, uh, Hella Pinay, Hyperallergic, uh, Asian Journal, The Phil Am, and elsewhere. Uh, Orden is a 2022 Open City Fellow and is currently an editor of poetry and creative uh, uh, nonfiction at Slanted Magazine. Uh, she's also a co-host along with Tamara Crawford of The Uplift, a monthly transatlantic conversation about books, writing, identity, and representation. Uh, Orden was a writer and cast member of the award-winning 2019 production of Ray's Panay. Uh, she was a participant in Tin House's 2022 Young Adult Workshop, uh, a Quayle Singh The Truth mentee, and is working on her first novel for young adults. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at uh, hyphenated, uh, that's H-Y-F-F-E-I-N-A-T-E-D, or uh, visit her website at vinaorden.com. And with that, please welcome Vina Orden. I do want to thank um, uh, Anthony and the Asian American uh, Asian Research Institute at CUNY. Um, as Anthony mentioned, I had uh, written an essay in the most recent issue of CUNY Forum, which you can definitely um, buy off the website. Um, and it is, uh, and so that's the, uh, uh, the, what my presentation will be about um, is the essay that I wrote for that. The, the title of my talk is Black Henry Reimagining a Moment in Filipino History to Chart New Ways Forward. Um, and so I think as Filipinos and really anyone uh, who was formerly colonized by the Spanish, uh, you may know that 2021 marked the quincentennial of Ferdinand Magellan and Juan Sebastian Elcano's circumnavigation of the earth. Um, so revisiting this event now uh, seems timely. Uh, it is uh, Filipino American History Month in October, um, but also uh, recently, I mean, a few months back, um, you know, we we witnessed the reactions to the passing of Queen Elizabeth, um, and so there were those, of course, who saw her and the monarchy as symbols of stability um, through all these global upheavals over the many decades, um, but then there were also those who really sought accountability and um, repertory justice from the violence, exploitation, and intergenerational trauma um, of the British Empire. And what was fascinating to me were the number of people who were shocked, you know, who were righteously indignant that not everyone was mourning the Queen's death. Um, and that whole scenario reminded me of what Elaine Castillo refers to as the unexpected reader um, in her book of essays, How to Read Now. Um, so Castillo talks about mainstream literature really prioritizing the comfort and understanding of the quote-unquote um, expected reader. So that is generally, you know, the, the white, uh, cis-straight uh, male reader. But 
what we can say, um, I, I feel like we can say the same thing about um, the mainstream history that we're taught in schools. Um, and, you know, the unexpected post-colonial reader really faces a lot of indignation when we call out what the dominant culture chooses to document and uphold as well as withhold, um, uh, you know, the kind of violence of the silence of the archives, uh, to paraphrase Sadia Hartman. Um, like when we assert that Black Lives Matter, we're rejecting white supremacy. When we call for indigenous rights and land stewardship, we're rejecting the legacy of settler colonialism, of extracting uh, maximum capital from the land. Um, and when we tear down monuments, we are, as Elaine Casilla points out, rejecting how the dominant culture teaches us to read our past and thereby live uh, in our present. So today's talk is about historical events, but it's ultimately about how we read, interpret, uh, deconstruct, and reframe those events. Um, so in this case, as Anthony mentioned earlier, I use Louis H. Francia's play, Black Henry, uh, and the Atlantic Pacific's transnational production in 2021 um, to explore a more subaltern cultural response to European quincentennial celebrations of the Magellan Elcano circumnavigation. Um, so on August 24, 2020, Spain's 93rd Marine Guard set sail from a naval station in Cadiz uh, for its 11th scheduled midshipman training cruise, except this particular voyage was also pageantry from the ship's name. So you see the ship here, um, Juan Sebastian Elcano, to its route west across the Atlantic to South America through the Straits of Magellan and across the Pacific to uh, Guam and the Philippines. And also, a uh, fun little fact, there were two celebratory casks of uh, 12-year Amontillado stowed on board for this particular journey. Um, so it definitely was, you know, a commemoration of the quincentennial of the Magellan-Elcano circumnavigation. But what exactly was being commemorated um, depended on who was asked. Uh, the dominant Eurocentric narrative celebrates Ferdinand Magellan's attempt in 1519, ultimately completed by uh, Elcano in 1522, to circumnavigate the globe, birthing the um, uh, process of globalization. But increasingly, scholars from the global south have challenged these claims, pointing out that commerce and the exchange of ideas among communities across Asia, North Africa, and the Mediterranean long predated European con colonialism, even positing that Magellan's enslaved guide uh, and interpreter, Enrique de Malaca, also known as Enrique el Negro or Henry the Black, whom Malaysians and uh, Filipinos equally claim as one of their own, actually may have been the first person to circumnavigate the globe from Cebu in the central Philippines, uh, what's now the central Philippines, to Malacca in Malaysia, to Portugal, to Spain, and then back to Cebu. Interestingly, the uh, arrival of the ship Elcano in Cebu City in 2021 elicited reassurances from John G. Gonzalez uh, of the Office of the Presidential Assistant for the Visayas region that 
we will not celebrate the discovery of the Philippines. We will commemorate the quincentennial, the Filipino way, which means we will raise awareness of our countrymen about the rich yet challenging pre-Hispanic or pre-colonial history. And then on the other hand, you had the um, mayor of Cebu City, Edgar Labella, uh, strike a more festive note, despite having to cancel all these large-scale quincentennial events uh, because we were in the middle of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so uh, the mayor said, Today, we relive history as it happened 500 years ago when Fernando Magellanes set foot in Cebu, which gave birth to our Christianity. Uh, so I think these two statements uh, demonstrate Filipinos' ongoing struggle with colonial legacies that are so deeply entwined with and um, some might argue inextricable from their own ancestral legacies. Um, so the image on this slide is from the Boxer Codex. It's a Spanish manuscript from around 1590 that features 75 illustrations of eth various ethnic groups in Asia and Micronesia, um, including what you see here, the Pintados, or the tattooed people of the Visayas, which is now the central Philippines, whom Magellan encountered um, on this journey. And our knowledge about the Magellan Elcano circumnavigation and the very, very little that we know of Enrique de Malaca draws largely from the chronicles of Antonio Picafetta, um, an Italian scholar who was among the 18 survivors of the original 270 who set sail from Spain um, in August of 1519. As an enslaved person, Enrique, referred to as Magellan's slave for um, most of the journal, uh, a dozen or so times, and then named exactly once in the journal's final mention of him, which you see here on this slide. Um, he makes an unusual appearance in the text for at least two reasons. Uh, one, that he served as interpreter and primary interlocutor with the people of Cebu, um, who Pigafetta claims, uh, you know, uh, he spoke their language, uh, but that is debatable according to scholars today. Um, and that he was blamed uh, for conspiring with Raja Humabon, ruler of Cebu, to lure uh, some of the crew members uh, on shore to a banquet where they met their bloody end. Um, and it also must be noted that scholars are now casting a more critical eye on uh, different versions of Pigafetta's accounts. Um, they're, you know, like extant, I think, uh, two uh, Italian, um, oh no, an Italian and then two French um, French versions of, of the manuscript. Um, and so Enrique's own fate is uncertain. So we know he doesn't make it back uh, to Spain, but did that mean that he perished along the way uh, on, on the ship? Or did he manage to gain his freedom as promised in Magellan's will and remain behind um, in Cebu, for instance? So uh, Colombian writer Gabriel Garcia Marquez delivered his assessment of Pigafetta in his 1982 Nobel lecture. Garcia Marquez says, Pigafetta wrote, upon his passage through our southern lands of America, a strictly accurate account that nonetheless resembles a venture into fantasy. And Mar Garcia Marcus connects Pigafetta and all these, you know, fantastical Renaissance uh, travel writers to uh, contemporary cultural critics when he says, 
Europeans of goodwill, and sometimes those of bad as well, have been struck with ever greater force by the unearthly tidings of Latin America, that boundless realm of haunted men and historic women whose unending obstinacy blurs into legend. The interpretation of our reality through patterns not of our own served only to make us ever more unknown, ever less free, ever more solitary. Venerable Europe would perhaps be more perceptive if it tried to see us in its own past. Uh, and it appears that Filipino journalist, poet, and playwright Luis H. Francia, who I believe is watching this evening, hello Luis, um, shares Garcia Marquez's concerns regarding the West's appetite for drama and heroes uh, that's disassociated from the cultural, political, and economic realities. In his narrative, A History of the Philippines from Indios Bravos to Filipinos, Francia writes that Pigafetta's description of Humabon's banquet is a scene worthy of Shakespeare. Um, and, and this was something uh, fun that I thought was appropriate to share um, in this talk. It was a meme that was circulating on social media for Indigenous Peoples Day at the start of uh, Phil M. History Month. Um, so for those somewhat familiar with the story, uh, you'll recognize as um, the protagonists, uh, the legendary explorer Magellan and the Filipino folk hero Lapu-Lapu, popularly credited as Magellan's vanquisher in the Battle of Mactan, but, um, you know, who more than likely was actually among one among a group of warriors who uh, took Magellan down. But from French's perspective, equally important to this cataclysmic story is a person who sits in history's shadow, the enslaved Enrique. Perhaps journalists and writers of color are inclined to gravitate toward marginalized or untold stories, but in the absence of documentation, how and what can we hope to contribute to our understanding of a historically significant moment and its aftermath? So these are the central preoccupations in French's play, Black Henry, which had its global virtual premiere in um, April of 2021, sponsored by Sulu, the Philippine Studies Initiative, and the King Juan Carlos I um, of Spain Center at uh, New York University, um, and the Atlantic Pacific Theater's uh, production, which was directed by Clara de los Reyes, founder and director um, of APT and which featured a global cast of actors from New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, and the Philippines. And for the most part, the play is consistent with the known historical uh, narrative of Magellan's landfall in Cebu, and then later Mactan, but as a work of imagination, departs from it in critical ways. Um, so the play opens with an animation of three tall ships, uh, which are what remained of Magellan's Armada de Moluca, advancing from a fiery orange horizon um, toward the port city of Cebu. Um, and we have a clip of that uh, thanks, to, um, uh, thanks to APT. And hopefully you'll be able to hear the, the sound here.
Oops. Skipped ahead. <laughs> so, um, rather than opening with a scene uh, on board Magellan's ship, uh, which is how the Pigafetta narrative, um, you know, that's the perspective. Um, Francia refracts the Pigafetta's gaze and begins the play in the great hall of the palace of the local ruler, Rahahumaban, who's played by John Roque um, in the production. Here, Humabon, Siamese trader and advisor Abbas, played by Anthony Vaughn Merchant, and Princess Ilang, played by Kriana House, not only set the stage for the events that are about to unfold, but also situates Magellan's invasion within the, the context of local, cultural, political, and economic realities that are absent from um, Pigafetta's narrative. So I am going to read a bit from that scene, and pardon me, I'm not an actor. <laughs> so I am going to read from the script. Raha Humaban says, we can work, drink, and feast together without anyone adopting anyone else's beliefs. Princess Ilang responds, The way we've always worked with merchants from Guangdong and Fukien, from Okinawa, Java, and Sumatra. Humabon, the way we've worked with you and the kingdom of Siam, we all benefit from each other's trade without having to bow to the same gods. Abbas, these Christians are different. They will gladly kill and enslave in the name of their god and their king. My lord, considering who Magellan is and where he comes from, you will be at least considered a little brother, at worst a slave, meant to serve him and his king. So Francis' choice of the words little brother recalls a pejorative for Filipinos, little brown brothers, which was coined by William Howard Taft, the first American colonial governor general of the Philippines in the early 20th century. It is apt to invoke the phrase in this opening scene of Black Henry, which reframes the story as one of Native people defending their sovereignty against colonialism versus Pigafetta's story of Christian white supremacists taking up the burden of civilizing, quote unquote, heathens. Um, yeah, switch to the next slide. So, uh, voiceless in Pigafetta's, uh, chronicle, and I don't think it's surprising, are the women, mentioned only as objects of the male gaze and of their sexual fulfillment. Um, so it was a notable decision, I thought, by Francia to write women actors into the script. Uh, Humaban's nephew and aide in real, real life becomes Princess Ilang in the play. Uh, and then to the consternation of the Europeans, particularly Padre Valderrama, played in the production by Artem Yatsunov, both Ilang and Rani Humamai, played by Eloisa Cardona, try to explain that in their part of the world, men think it best to leave matters of the spirit to the women. And later on in the play, and that's where um, this uh, still that you see right now, um, Lapu-Lapu, who's played by Alexis Kamins, seeks the advice of a Babaylan, uh, also played by Cardona, before the Battle of Mactan. As Francia notes in his history uh, of the Philippines, the Babaylan, also known as Catalonan or Mumbaki, most often were women and occasionally trans, intersex, or gender-fluid people. They were augurs of fate, as well as healers and midwives, um, as bearers of life and as mediums who could communicate with the dead, 
The Babylon occupied a prominent and lucrative position in society. Um, gender equity and nonconformity also reflected in uh, a number of the pre-colonial languages and myths were so threatening to the misogynistic Spanish colonizers that they systemically murdered the Babaylan. It's even said that to ensure their total annihilation, the Babaylan's bodies were chopped up and fed to crocodiles. So Elong's character allows Francia to compare the conditions of women before and after colonization. As Enrique's love interest, Elong also illustrates the islanders' fluid social hierarchy relative to the Spanish. Pre-colonial Luzones and Visayans, who lived in the north and the central um, regions of the archipelago, did have ruling elites and enslaved people. But as historian Vincente Rafael elaborates, Status reflected indebtedness, not the person. Self and status were not naturally related, but explicitly constructed on the basis of asymmetrical exchanges, so marriage alliances, usurpations of authority, trade relations, and so on. Indeed, the possibility of shifting from one rank to another, as evidenced by the fine gradations of servitude, bespoke the tendency to disassociate status from the person. So in their final conversation um, in the production, Magellan, played by James Rana, informs Enrique, played by Ives Bagallong from the Philippines, um, of a provision in his will making him a free man. Enrique wonders if it means that he could marry whomever he wants and live anywhere in the world before recognizing that the Spanish would spurn him because of his skin color and his lowly station, whereas by simply securing his freedom, um, he would be able to marry Ilang. So toward the end of French's play, uh, Enrique is fatally wounded in a skirmish after a banquet. Um, his body is buried under a, a carn by the sea, bathed by saltwater waves, as you see here. Um, and Ilang and Humabon in this scene uh, look on as Abbas uh, basically recites an Islamic funeral prayer. Uh, Enrique's non-Christian burial is juxtaposed with the play's final scene, which you also see here, um, where uh, Rani Humamai um, rechristened Juana after uh, Spanish King Carlos I's mother, recites the Pater Noster under the tutelage of Padre Valderrama, who stays behind on the islands to spread Christian dogma. So Pigafetta's own account of Rani Humamai's conversion really is quite dramatic. Um, he says, I showed her an image of Our Lady, a very beautiful child Jesus made of wood and a cross. Thereupon, she was seized with contrition and weeping, asked for baptism. Um, that's probably why the play ends with this close-up shot of the Santo Nino de Cebu, um, which is really, uh, you know, it's a statuette of the child Jesus, and it's very ubiquitous in the Philippines. You even see it in, like, car dashboards. Um, so these just supposed scenes of Enrique's burial and the Rani's conversion allude to the cultural hybridity of the modern Filipino. 
while the Philippines is still predominantly Catholic or Christian, about 10% of the population is Muslim. Uh, many Christianized Filipinos still retain regional pre-colonial beliefs and traditions, including consulting alternative healers. Um, so the faith healer, if you're familiar with that, is a really good example of this hybridity that taps into both indigenous healing practices as well as uh, Christian prayers and rituals. So in the talk back after the premiere, playwright Francia discussed centering the play on Enrique, who for him represented modern day concerns, particularly the overseas Filipino worker, workers in the merchant marines and the cruise industry, where Filipinos make up the bulk of workers. Um, and this parallelism of Enrique and the OFW who returns to the motherland also was observed by Filipino filmmaker Kidla Tehimik uh, and was the subject of his 2015 film, Balikbayan 1, Memories of Overdevelopment, Redux 3. Um, it's, it's really great and wonderful. Uh, and you could probably find some footage of that, that movie um, on, on YouTube. So Francia began researching and writing Black Henry in Cebu in 2003. And in 2014, director and actor Clara de los Reyes uh, participated in a reading of uh, the play at Topaz Arts here in New York City. And in 2020, he and Francia started discussing staging a production of Black Henry. And then, of course, as we know, the pandemic hit. Um, so while a traditional in-person premiere wasn't possible, De Los Reyes began to think about the possibilities of a virtual production um, and what all of that could possibly enable. Um, he was connected to theater makers in Manila and across the U.S., but collaborating across space and um, time zones uh, was, was actually often really cost prohibitive. But online theater turned that dream uh, into a reality, allowing him to bring transnational aesthetics to a transnational play. It was also an opportunity to decolonize arts and cultural spaces that often limit who participates and who has access to these experiences. De Los Reyes, along with other cast members, had to contend with a medium that posed challenges and opportunities similar to, as well as different from, live theater and film. To double down on the opportunities of online theater, as well as to develop a visual language to match this transnational play and cast, um, in De Los Reyes' world, words, deviating from colonial capitalist structures and aesthetics, um, he relied on a community of professionals in and outside theater. Uh, Francis Estrada, a visual artist and educator, who as um, a Kali or a Filipino uh, martial arts instructor as well, um, also choreographed the fight scenes in the show. Um, there was Charles Reynoso, video producer and educator, and Cynthia Alberto, artist, designer, and founder of the Brooklyn-based arts studio Weaving Hand. The efforts of live production, online um, realization, and staging fell on Leia Cabrera and Isabel Duverger of NYU. So a challenge of performing um, a play and a history play at that is bridging the distance between um, uh, to the contemporary audience. So the symbiotic relationship that develops between the actors and the audience is really unique and vital to every live performance. 
in online theater, the physical distance to that audience is negated. Uh, and this, in this respect, resembles film more closely. Uh, and intimacy with the audience in film uh, is often achieved by the camera through close-up and extreme close-up shots. Um, so I think over a year into the pandemic, uh, where many of us have become familiar with the close-up or um, extreme um, shots of our coworkers and family members on a Zoom screen, right? Um, so the narrow frame was a limitation that I think the production was really able to not just work around, but also harness um, for intimate moments. Um, like in this scene, for instance, where Elong and Enrique declare their love for each other, and also another scene where Magellan promises to set Enrique free. Um, and credit really goes to the actors Kriana Haas, Ives Bagadyong, and James Rana, who express a range of emotions through subtle and natural shifts um, in their facial expressions and voices. It's just really uh, amazing to, to, to watch that professionalism. And who also manage from the confines of their own homes, uh, you know, scattered across the country and um, in the Philippines, um, to connect with uh, other the other actors on a virtual stage set. To address the limitations of Zoom while at the same time push the boundaries of open broadcaster software, Francis Estrada and Charles Reynoso drew on multiple art forms such as graphic novels, manga, um, and Southeast Asian shadow plays to create the visual aesthetic of the production. Um, designer Cynthia Alberto, who was inspired by uh, ancient European, Asian, Latin American, and African weaving traditions handwove the costumes based on creative interpretations of the era from zero-waste uh, fabric scraps that were uh, donated by a fashion designer. Um, so ultimately, the team's innovative interdisciplinary approach disrupts the norms of current online um, theater and also expands the possibility for um, a medium in its nascency. Uh, so you'll see, you know, some of the backdrops here, which um, is a combination of vibrantly tinted black and white photographs. Um, some were actually taken by Estrada during uh, previous trips to the Visayas and to Mactan. Um, all of these things establish uh, the settings in the play. Uh, you know, from the deck of the Bridge of Magellan's ship to the interiors of Humabon and Lapu-Lapu's palaces uh, to landscapes of the islands. Um, and so also interspersed within all of this are um, live action montages of battle scenes like this one, which really move the plot along. Um, there are, of course, also slower paced, quietly powerful scenes that help the audience better understand the characters' uh, human motivations. Um, this, this was just really, really fun to see. Um, it's very cool. There is no sound with, with this particular um, video. And so as an example of... Um, one of these uh, slower scenes, uh, you know, uh, before his battle with Lapu-Lapu's men, 
Magellan is seen holding on to this wooden cross and fervently praying. Uh, this was actually uh, a, a film element um, uh, in, in the production. And so, um, you know, it was filmed in this, this kind of high contrast black and white um, from angles behind. And then it also goes uh, above um, Magellan. And with this voiceover track of um, kind of like Magellan's monologue through all of this. Um, so it, the, the overall effect is that it renders Magellan vulnerable. So when we come to his subsequent death in the Battle of Mactan, um, it, it garners uh, the audience's uh, sympathy. So when asked about the motivations uh, behind his work as a writer and a professor, um, Francia often quotes this uh, Tagalog saying, um, you know, uh, oftentimes attributed to Rizal, but I've been told by Luis is actually just a regular old Tagalog saying. Ang hindi lumilingon sa pinanggalingan ay hindi makakarating sa paroroonan. If you don't know where you came from, you won't know where you're going. Um, and so I think this is often uh, a really complicated and laborious charge for people who've been marginalized in history and historiography. Um, of course, there are many ways that cultures have passed down knowledge over the millennia, including the oral traditions of poetry and theater. So in a sense, returning to those traditional ways of knowing with Black Henry conjures larger truths about the human experience. Um, for instance, uh, the simple fact of Enrique's and Filipino's multilingualism. I mean, most of us uh, grow up learning at least two, if not um, more languages. So, you know, our regional language, uh, Filipino or Tagalog, English, and perhaps Spanish, um, speaks to the ways that Filipinos have survived and thrived by endeavoring to understand and to be understood in multicultural societies. Um, hybrid multilingual Filipinos have invented entirely new ways of seeing, thinking, and interpreting the world, um, something that's akin to what James Baldwin observed about Black English. Um, Baldwin says, this was not merely an adoption of a foreign tongue, but an alchemy that transformed ancient elements into new language. A language comes into existence by means of brutal necessity, and the rules of the language are dictated by what the language must convey. Um, that is so deep. Um, and so French's play and de los Reyes's production interrogate the narratives of the past that have been advanced and accepted as truth, whether about uh, Magellan's landfall on Cebu or about the conventions of theater making. And in doing so, they chart new ways forward from past and present uncertainties to future possibilities. Thank you so much. Frank Gomez asks, does anti-Spanish animosity exist? Anti-Spanish animosity? Um, I'm not really sure what what you mean by that, like um, as like racially or, or microaggressions. Um, but I mean, I think... Even in, um, you know, the, the literature from that time, if you read Rizal, um, I mean, certainly uh, a lot of the um, 
the 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 writers and 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 the folks who were involved in the Philippine Revolution against Spain, um, they they were influenced by a lot of these movements around the world, including. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the French Enlightenment. Um, and so you will read these tracks that are definitely, um, uh, you know, uh, very critical of the Spanish, um, as in, um, uh, uh, really, really more critical of um, the political system that they created um, and the social hierarchies that they created um, in the Philippines. Um, and, and so, so I don't know if I'm answering your specific question, but if you, you wanted to elaborate. Yeah, um, you know, Frank says criticism of the colonial past. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, actually, I will point to there's this, uh, really, um, if you go to Salu, the, the Philippine initiative at NYU, um, I think they, they might still have some artifacts from, um, this virtual conference they did, Maktan 500. Um, and you'll definitely see, um, some really great scholarship that, uh, not only not only focuses actually on um, uh, Spanish colonialism, but also um, changes the focus. So we're talking about like um, peri-colonial societies. So societies within the, the, um, the archipelago that was never conquered by the Spanish, right? Or any of the subsequent um, um, conquered folks. Uh, just to, to have a different, um, frame of reference, the peri-colonial reference, um, to show that there are these societies that have, ex- that exist today, um, that probably, um, you know, have evolved much, much closer, um, to keeping, um, a lot of, uh, like the archipelagic belief systems and, and, um, you know, um, even, even economic and, and trading systems. And, um, if you really are interested, um, in, in the scholarship, um, there's, um, there's really a number of, um, great, great folks. And you'll find them in, in the McDon, um conference. There's uh, Kali Fajardo from the University of Minnesota. Um, from UCLA, there's Dr. Una Paredes. I, some really great stuff, really great stuff coming out as well from, from um, a lot of the, the, the newer scholarship, I would say. Uh, Frank follows up by saying, for example, in the U.S. and Latam, there is a resistance to honoring Columbus. Uh, Latam, Columbus Day mm-hmm. doesn't Yeah. Uh, El Dia de la Raza. So, yeah. creation of a new race. So. Yeah, um, it was so interesting. <sighs> I mean, it's it's so fascinating. Politics in the Philippines just um, uh, fascinates me uh, to no end. But uh, the the most uh, before before the the son of a dictator, um, uh, Bongbong Marcos became president. We we had um, another in my mind dictator, Rodrigo Duterte, and um, you know it's it's like uh, he. Uh, there, there, there was this massive statue of, um, uh, Lapu Lapu that was erected in, um, the same, um, space where, like, there was Rizal's statue. Um, and so, um, during the commemoration, I think it was during, um, the, the centennial, um, um uh the the um the celebration of, um, uh, the Magellan Elcano circumnavigation, 
uh, Duterte actually issued this very nationalist, oh, you know, like I proclaim Lapu Lapu Day. Um, so, so he used it as like this, um, this way to, um, to, to kind of, uh, foment like nationalist sentiments, I guess. Um, and, and so, so he used it in that way. Um, and I, I know that there was a statue of Magellan, um, in Cebu that was also, um, you know, uh, torn down just like the various, um, statues in a lot of these, um, uh, formerly colonized places of Columbus, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have a hand raised from Alan Isaac. I believe this is maybe Alan. <laughs> so I, I think you raised a good point about the use of pre-colonial figures by authoritarian figures, uh, by th- authoritarian, um, um, sort of dictators, right? And so I was wondering how you would differentiate between uh, ways that we can think through the pre-colonial past without it actually becoming a a sort of this sort of weird sort of status nationalist um, way or even ethno-nationalist for that matter, Uh, even though I know recognizing the different regions in the Philippines, but there is a danger in that uh, that you just pointed to right now. I was just wondering how you, how how do you measure precisely the, um, or differentiate or distinguish between those types of uses to a more sort of um, pointing to different futures, I guess. Yeah, um I mean I the one of the re- uh, one of the things that I found so great about this production actually was the transnational aspect of it. Um and I think that I mean we have to get away from um you know this this sort of like Philippines base versus like um you know Philippines in in the diaspora kind of ridiculous discussions um, that, that go on sometimes about like things like, you know, the X and, and, and Philippine X and, and how that's like a horrible thing. Um, because we, we actually have, um, I mean, I think it's, it's just so rich when we have these transnational, um, conversations that, that's not just going on at a scholarly level. Um, I mean, if you, if you follow, um, Twitter, actually, there, there have been some really interesting, uh, conversations that have been happening in that space where, um, we all contribute knowledge, right? Like our own, um, our, our own different knowledges based on, on, on where we are. And so, for instance, um, I was invited to, to speak on Twitter spaces about, um, and, and I, I, I really don't know that much about like Captain America. So I invited someone else who, um, who would be able to speak to that more. Um, so I, I spoke more on, on kind of like the history, but apparently there's this, um, Filipina, Captain America, um, as part of like the, the, the new series of Captain America, right? Um, and, and that just, I mean, I, I was just like aghast by it. Um, uh, well, it was, it was interesting because I, I think her name, um, her name in, in Tagalog, uh, you know, means like, a woman's vagina. Um, so, so there, that was the conversation that was happening on like the Twitter space. But I mean, the, like just, just the realm of social media, I think. But in this particular conversation of Twitter spaces, we really unpacked what that meant to have a Filipina 
like Captain America. And I think, um, and, and, and actually it was interesting because it was, it was, um, you know, a, a, a theater person who, um, has knowledge of, um, you know, um, the, the comic book realm and, and me, who's definitely not a, a scholar. I will say that I'm not an academic. I'm just, you know, like interested in, 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 um, Philippine history and stuff. Um, and all these linguists from the Philippines. Um, but it ended up being this just amazing conversation because I think they were very fascinated about what, um, you know, like the Filipina American perspective would be to this whole, um, scenario. So, I mean, I think, um, I, I'm, I'm totally like babbling right now, but, um, and, and I will invite you to answer your own question in a way, um, because I feel like you're right about this, Alan, but, um, but I do think that, um, you know, having these kind of conversations in the public sphere, um, and resting with, with our own history in, in kind of real ways. Um, and I mean, you know, even, even in pop culture, right? Like it's, it, it is an interesting phenomenon that there are a lot of, um, um, you know, Filipino writers who are going back to like the myths and, 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 and all of that stuff and, and creating something new from it. Um, and you can go either way about, you know, saying oh, like, is this creating some like weird nationalistic thing? But I, I don't think so. In those cases, they're, they're going beyond it and, 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 and really, using what's what's in our history and culture yeah to create like future future possibilities and um to think about um things in 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 all these different ways um what is that series on netflix about oh my gosh why am i blanking um on on the name of that that series that that is about the mythical creatures um of the philippines um which which is great you know like pop culture um just like um k-drama right um but anyway, <laughs> uh, Frank has follow up questions. Uh, to what extent do uh, Filipino immigrants in the U.S. study the history of the film? Mm. And then his second question. Oh, well, uh, let's answer his first question. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love this question because I, I think even um, CUNY, right? Uh, uh, there is this movement, um, at, at least in like the city and, and state systems to actually make like Asian American studies, but then also these, these other, um, uh, other kinds of studies like Philippine studies part of the curriculum. Um, because, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's that silence, uh, the violence of the silence of the archives. Um, and so I think. I think regionally we're at very, very different places. I mean, obviously since, since the sixties and, and the seventies, um, you know, there have been folks on the West Coast agitating for this stuff. Um, and in the East Coast, it's, it's kind of, kind of like a, a fairly newer phenomenon. But, um, to speak personally, I mean, when I was in high school, we did have a textbook. Uh, so, so I went to, um, so I, I grew up in the Philippines and immigrated here, um, around like 13 years old. And I do remember in our, um, textbook kind of reading about the Spanish American war. Um, and I, I remember like there was this photo of Emilio Aguinaldo in it. Um, and so, um, so, so there was some mention like maybe, you know, two or three paragraphs on what happened in the Philippines, but you never, 
Um, and, and I think um, Philippine scholars will point to this, that you never really hear about the Philippine-American War, which is an extension of the Spanish-American War. Um, because again, like in the United States, we like to craft this very clean um, idea of history and even, you know, like the American Revolution, right? Like, um, it's the irony. I mean, th this is this is why, um, you know, part of why, like, uh, you know, um, Aguinaldo um, kind of believed in the Americans, right? Like, and and um, actually, I don't know the history of the flags of Cuba and 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 Puerto Rico, and if it's the same as the Philippines. But the red, white, and blue actually um, comes from uh, the the U.S. flag because, um, at least for the for the Filipinos um, during the, the 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 Philippine Revolution against Spain, they again, like kind of like the French Revolution, um, they look to the the American Revolution as kind of like, you know, the the, the philosophical ideals of that. Um, and and I think even, you know, throughout, um, you know, when when um, uh, Filipinos came to study in, in the U.S., it was it, and this was this was um, during the uh, during the colonial period, you know, as part of pacification, um, the U.S. allowed some scholars to come in and study in the U.S. I mean, they were very shocked about the racism that they experienced in this country, um, which um, just like when when you just um, read about. Um, you know, this, the, the so-called mainstream history of the U.S. is whatever, like the benevolent colonizers. Um, it, it was shocking to them to see what it really was, like their lived experience, which didn't match up to, um, you know, what was in the history books. So. Uh, the show that we were talking about was... <laughs> yes. Trece. Thank you, Cesar. Yeah. <laughs> Trece, yeah. Trece. And, and, and speaking about Netflix, uh, just the other day, as of the 21st, uh, Netflix interface is available in Filipino all around the world, and it's also the subtitles and the dub is available also. And cool. speaking about courses in history, right? Uh, Seattle uh, yesterday uh, debuted their uh, Filipino U.S. history uh, course in their public schools. So awesome! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All during uh, you know Philan month, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I knew someone, someone, someone um, at CUNY would be plugged into this more <laughs> than me. Um, um, uh, Frank, thanks you for your uh, uh, answer to his first question. Uh, his second one is, an academy of the Spanish language exists in the Philippines, along with that of the U.S., hmm. only non-Spanish speaking nation to have one. Uh, is there interest in retaining uh, and or learning Spanish? Um. Uh, I, I might get in trouble for answering. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, but there, there are, you know, it's interesting. There are some um, languages and, and dialects that that are closer to um, to Spanish, um, uh, like Kiligaynon, I think. Um, and and folks who are from those regions um, who who are on this can probably answer this better than me. Um, Chabacano, um, and so so um, it actually sounds like. Um, like old Spanish. So if you go, you know, if, 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 um, a contemporary Spanish speaker kind of hears someone speak Chabacano, they're like, what is that like 
old kind of um, textbook Spanish that nobody uses anymore. So it's just fascinating in that way that it's a language that's stuck in time and uh, or influences of the Spanish that's stuck in time. Um, but I know even, um, you know, during the period of Rizal, it's like all the intellectuals and um, anyone who was um, of the upper class did learn Spanish. I mean, Rizal wrote in Spanish a lot of um, a lot of uh, the intellectuals that we know today, the Ilustrados, um, you know, they 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 went to Madrid and um, were expats in Madrid and wrote um, critiques of Spain in Spanish, um, which is which is kind of cool. Um, and, and that is what 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 I I love about it. I mean, I. Personally, I, I also learned um, Spanish, um, wrote it pretty well um, previously before before I, I stopped actually taking Spanish class. But my motivations, um, and in the same way as as a writer in the English language, it's like I am, I am, I you know, like I I, I want to learn the language of the colonizers to use it on the colonizers, you know, to decolonize. Um, so, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I do think that there are um, probably like, it's, it's, there's, there's still a class thing that goes on. Like if, if your family speaks Spanish, that means you're usually like upper class or something. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there might be um, kind of like decolonial reasons for also, you know, learning, learning that, that language. Like, um, I mean, English again American English it's it's like such such a, a travesty in a way um the writer Gina Apostol talks about this that when she was growing up she was penalized for speaking what I in the classroom they would have to put like a coin in a piggy bank if they didn't speak English in the classroom um and so yeah to be penalized for speaking our own local languages I mean that's that's very um depressing to me um and I I do think that um you know there are uh, I, I mean uh, when, when I was talking about the the uh Twitter space with the with the linguists that that was kind of cool to me that they you know they are studying all of the local languages and trying to even um translate a lot of the material um into uh local languages that's like a big um effort um uh beyond you know beyond english and, and Filipino or tagalog so now, uh, well, it seems uh, Luis hopped off, but uh, yeah. do you happen to know his creative process, how long it took him to actually write Black Henry or, you know, and develop Yeah, it? so I know that it was, um, I forget now the grant that he got, um, that um, he was in Cebu for a time, actually writing it there. Um, and I think some of the first um, readings and workshops, I think there were two that actually um happen in, in the Philippines in, what did I say, like 2003 or 2004. Um, the actual length of time that he wrote Black Henry, because there was also, um, uh, uh, oh no, I am thinking about another play of his, but um, yeah, so, so yeah, and there was a reading um, here in, in 2014. So I don't know how long the process um, took, but um, if, you know, if, um, if, uh, if we are to learn from, I guess, uh, like other plays that he's, he's written and they get performed 
um, subsequently, I, there's always like some kind of tweaking that goes on with each production because um, he's usually involved in the, the actual production. Um, so there's usually some tweaking of the script, I think. Uh, do you have any idea whether or not they might consider performing it live? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look at this attendee list to see if there's anyone from the production who's here tonight. Um, uh, yeah, we should have asked that question to Luis when he yeah. was here. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that was the original intention, I guess, right, um, when he started talking with um, Claro. So there could very well be. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it, it was it – was, Great that they were still because I, I I do think they were timing it to the um centennial, okay. uh, which makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, folks, if you have a question, please type in the Q and A box or raise your hand. I just want to mention. Well, Vina did mention it earlier in the video. <laughs> so this is our issue of CUNY Forum, of which uh, Vina's essay appears in. So it's available online for you to purchase. Uh, we've also had Professor Isaac. He's published in our past issue before. But uh, yeah, uh, I believe the play itself that was done on Zoom is available online on the NYU. Uh, I hope it's still. I know it was um, um, time delimited, but I don't know. Well, Have you been yeah, on there recently? Just, yeah, okay. And then there was a panel Q and A with Claro uh, and Luis as well with the and Nerissa Balsa. Yeah. So it might just be the you know mm. on the website, but yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it could possibly still be on the NYU website for folks to view if uh, after this talk. Yeah, it was really cool. Very different. I mean, um, I don't know if you saw it, Anthony, when they when they did it, but it was just um, different from our conception of what Zoom is, right? Or Yeah. Thank you all for being so engaged. Um, I mean, I had fun. Um, I had fun crashing into this academic space. Ha ha ha. I want to, I want to thank Vina again for a wonderful presentation. Uh, great way to end Filipino American History Month. A couple of days left. Uh, That's right. Please enjoy. Uh, if you're looking for other literatures to read, actually the Asian American Writers Workshop has a list of uh, yes, needs available. Uh, yeah. you can visit their website to check that out. And with that, uh, enjoy your weekend and remember to be an upstander if you see a mm -hmm. person in need and good night and enjoy the rest of the Lamb History Month. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Anthony. This is fun. Bye. Yeah. Thank you, good everyone. Night.